All right, let's try this. Happy Sabbath, Garland family, again. That was quick, eh? A little quick transition there. Um, well, God is good. God is good. I'm watching the time here, and so I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads with me. And let's just get into the word. Our Father. Truly, you have been so good to me. my family. Your presence is always with us. I'm so glad you have given us the discernment to learn how you're moving. And you have given us all that we need so that we can follow you. Today, it's a new beginning, but a new beginning with a purpose. You have brought us here as a family to accomplish some task that you have in mind. You have carved out a, a special mission for this church. And there's something that you saw within me that together you know that you'll be able to accomplish something for your kingdom. And so, Father, once again, I just submit all that I am into your hands. I give you all my faculties. I surrender all my will. I turn over to you the full access of my life. I just ask that you use me in such a way that your kingdom would be glorified and expanded. And Father, as a church, as we move forward, the kingdom of darkness will try all that it's that it can to prevent your work from going forward. However, you are the almighty God and nothing, nothing can prevent you from accomplishing your will. And so in the name of Jesus, as we just open your word today, I ask, Lord, that you'll speak through me and speak to your people. And may as we all hear your words, may we not only be edified by them, but in the process, may we be transformed. For we ask this in the name of Jesus, that the church of the living God say, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Crosswise. Crosswise. Being wise in the things of the cross. I'd like to speak to you on this topic today. My scripture text is coming from 1 Corinthians, if you would join me in your Bible. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. Are you there with me? All right, all right, all right. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm reading from verse 18 to 25. The Bible says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are what? Perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? The Bible says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews requested a what? A sign. They request a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greek, Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser, wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Crosswise. I love what the poet said. When it comes to the wisdom of God, he said, In the eyes of the wise, don't be cool, be a fool. It may be a loss, and you'll suffer pain, but this is the cross that leads to gain. Gain that goes beyond the worldly clever. For it is gain that lasts forever. Worldly wisdom, my friends, fosters and promotes pride and self-sufficiency. And this leads to division. It leads to individualism. It leads to immorality. It leads to bitterness. This leads to destruction. To the individual, it leads to hopelessness and loss of eternity. But watch this. But it's even more devastating to the church. Because for the church, uh, it means the lack of making a difference. So the world is heading down a path of destruction. Where is the church? What is blocking 
God's power from flowing through the church to help the world. Mm. The only cure for this is the cross of Christ. I submit to you in the scriptures, man who dealt with this in a church congregation, where the wisdom of the world began to seep through the pews, and it led to problems in the church, but not only problems, but ineffectiveness of the gospel, expanding God's kingdom through the church. The Apostle Paul is writing here to the church in Corinth. This was a church that he had, he had planted, he had worked hard to establish a church that no doubt was cut off from the same cloth from the church at Pentecost. A church filled with the Holy Spirit, dynamic. Over 3,000 people were saved that very day, and on and on and on. The next time you hear Luke numbering the amount of people that were saved, he said 5,000. From 5,000, he could, couldn't count. He stopped counting. He ended up in Acts 20 saying myriads were saved. From 120 to myriads, that's angelic numbers. A church that expressed genuine love amongst itself, the fruit of the Spirit was working through the people within the church of Pentecost. This was the beginning of the current church. This love flowed over into the community. And many people came to know Jesus. Amen? But the members began to experience divisions among themselves. Oh, my, my. Hence Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. In addition, were, there was rampant immorality permeating the flock they began to embrace false teachings within the church. And some of them were involved in downright criminal behavior. From Pentecost to Corinth. From high growth to no growth. What happened? But the church was simply emblematic of the society around it. The church began to look like the people around them. Mm. They began to lack the power necessary. And in fact, listen to this. Their downfall could be easily spoken of, of them being Corinthianized. I'll let you sit on that just for a little. What does it mean to be Corinthianized? Well, you can find that in the city called Corinth. What was it like? What type of city was it, was it like? Well, you see, to be Corinthianized simply means to have all of your distinctives and identity and purpose all sanitized by the culture and influence of Corinth. You see, back in the first century, the city of Corinth was a center of trade and commerce. It was a Roman colony that was thriving economically 
and was very self-sufficient. One historian said its location made it a flourishing crossroads for sea traffic between the Aegean Sea and the Western Mediterranean. It was a place where many culture and religion mingled with each other. Ha. And boy, did they mingle. The truth is, too much mingling was taking place in Corinth, for it could also be called the sin city of that time, where what goes on there stayed there. Hmm. But there was something far more deeper than the immorality of the city of Corinth that arrested Paul's attention. Something that was a root cause of their decline. Something very sinister. Something uh, uh, very destructive. Something that Paul believed crept into this, this, this pure church and was the main source of their problem. What was this thing? Uh, this was the elevation of worldly wisdom and human reason above everything. The elevation of what? Worldly wisdom and human reason above everything else. It was a space in which human philosophy trafficked, and it was led by men who used their skills as great orators to dazzle and confound the mind of the people, which, by the way, brought them great admiration and fame. But follow me, friends. Follow me. These men flooded the street corners and great halls with worldly wisdom received from their predecessors like Epicurus, who taught that by studying philosophy, one could attain tranquility. And by knowing that you can, be, uh, you can be wise, by knowing that how one can be wise was to be able to have this peace of mind that comes from studying worldly wisdom. The Stoic and men from the school of Socrates and Plato, they dominated Corinth. All the street sides and anything that relates to the man that was the son of God, the man that was called Christ, the man that was called Mashiach, the anointed one, the one who was crucified on the cross and rose three days later was treated as foolishness. The Greek word there described as foolishness is the word that we get from moron. So in other words, these Greek philosophers, when they thought about the, the cross of Christ, they, think, they thought that any person who placed their belief in such a things are morons. This was the philosophy of the day. But that's not, that wasn't so only for that time. Is it, it is the same thing today. It's the same philosophy that's permeating society today. I love what several, not, not love, I should say, 
Let me take that back. When I study what is happening in our societies today and our churches, what I see is the philosophies of men coming up into the church from the outside. I see men uh, uh, like atheist Christopher Hitchens who lambast the church of God by saying, I find something repulsive about the idea of a vicarious redemption. Questioning the all power of God that was laid bare before the world on the cross. I hear other men saying, from a man stand, from a human standpoint, the fact that God would become a man and subject himself to death for the redemption of mankind is completely ludicrous. And Robert Ingersoll. An infidel atheist made this statement. He said that from childhood, he hated the idea of another earning the salvation for him. But this, this one really, really got to me. Uh, uh, Martin Hengland's summarized I believe this, this text here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, very beautifully, and I want you to hear what he said. He said, the word of the cross, the very substance of the Christian gospel, is absolute madness to those who are perishing. It is irrational, he said. It is insanity. It makes no sense whatsoever to them. It is not just that this message is a little off balance. It is not simply that it is indeed of a bit, in need of a bit of polishing. It is sheer madness. And yet this message of the cross, for all its foolishness, is the very essence of our identity. And Paul says, I am not ashamed of this. This means everything to me. Even though the world is saying all of this against the cross, for me, it is the sheer power of Almighty God. But um, um, Hingel continues. Listen to what he says. He says, the worldly fools are those who feel so wise. They have no need of the light from God. These fools say in their hearts, that there's no God. Man, listen to the three descriptions that he listed here. Man is the measure of all things. This is society. This is what it means to be Corinthianized. This is what society is bringing to the church. That man is the measure of all things and he determines his own destiny. They say science and human philosophy is all that we need. And this one here really got to me. He said, we do not need the Bible, they say, or God to create our own heaven. In other words, we, we, we have a brain. Uh, we are intelligent. We can figure out our own destiny. We are the master of our own future. And we don't need God to give us a heaven. We can create it 
right here by ourselves on earth. Human philosophy. Very pervasive. And it got into current. It got into the church there. You know, friends, we can go to school, and it's good. We can get an education, and that's great. And we can get a career from it and, and even become an entrepreneur to rule our own destiny. The world thrives for the place where one don't need God or man. And this is the utopia for the world. Mm. This is where life is at. I can control my own destiny. I can make it on my own. It is the ancient pursuit of the people trying to build their own tower of Babel. Where they sit so high, God will not be able to touch them. And, and that is what's been, been brought down into our world today. As I said, it was brought into the Corinthian church. But don't be fooled, friends. Because even though Brother Hengel speak about worldly fools, that same thinking is in a lot of people's minds who claim the name of Jesus. Listen to my friend. The idea, the humanism is in the church. The idea that God is at the beck and call of human beings. There are people in the church who believe that they can sanitize who God really is. In order, they can strip him of all the attributes that they don't like. Are you with me, friends? And they can stick with the character that mesh, meshes with what they perceive and what they like. In other words, they end up creating their own God. They want the God of love. But they don't want the God of judgment and wrath. They want the God that forgives. But the God that is, that is indifferent to their lifestyle of sin. A God who they can use only when they need something that is beyond their provisions. And they apply these worldly ideas to God and in the church. And thus the church loses that power that comes from the cross. Are you with me, friends? I'm going somewhere. When I think of Paul, he's writing to the Corinthian church. Paul was filled with the Holy Ghost. And he declared that what these scholars call foolish was only their opinions. Human philosophy or worldly wisdom is extremely opinionated, Paul was saying, but to me it is raw power. To me it's something that changed me. A person who felt he was unchangeable Paul was saying, it was power to me. It may not, I may not know, Paul probably said, much about the study of metaphysics and the nature of reality. But the reality that I know is that once I was a persecutor of the church of God, once I was a murderer of those who preached the very cross of Christ, but now I count it all joy 
to have suffered stripes, to have suffered shipwrecks, stonings, imprisonments, all for the sake of this Christ. What an amazing change. Only a power that is greater than any human being philosophy or thinking could have done that to my heart. Paul was saying, I may not know much about epistemology or the ins and outs of logic theory, but the only logic that makes sense to me is that once I was a blind man, but now after I met Christ, I can see. Are you following? Paul, Paul, probably, Paul probably said, you know, friends, I, 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 you know, I live life without a companion. I live life without a wife, but I live life on purpose. Only a God could do that to my heart. Paul was probably thinking, and he, he's probably saying that the very things that I don't want to do, I find that, the, that this, those are the very things I end up doing. But thanks be to God for victory in Christ Jesus. Some is who, some Paul oozes out of the cross that changes life, and I am a recipient of it. And I know it personally. Paul, Paul, I, when I think about Paul, I, I could, I see in my mind's eye that Paul probably said, I may have been in school today when the teacher taught uh, the theory of idealism. But the only ideal thing that I know is an ideal place promised to me called glory. Are you with me? A new heaven and a new earth. Uh, one day I shall step on a new street of gold. One day, one day I shall live in a place where there will be no more death, no more sin, no more COVID, no more hospitals, an ideal place. No more mass shootings and, and, and buffalo, uh, in Buffalo and in Texas. And one day, one day, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, there will be no more, no more gay pride June. One day, one day, there will be an ideal place where I will stand in and live for the rest of eternity, all because of the cross of Jesus Christ. It seems foolish to many people. But to me, it's everything. It's everything, Paul was saying. My, my friends, I just want to say as I, as I think about my assignment here at this church, I, I think about and I pray to God, God help me to be crosswise. Help me to view this assignment through the cross. Help me, Father, as I, as I work with the people. Help me to work with them the way I see you work with people when you were here. Help me, Father, to be crosswise. Uh, I just want to wrap this up here with two, th two thoughts that came to me when it comes to the cross. Because if we're not careful as a church and we lose sight of the cross of Christ, will end up just like the Corinthian church. Where we and the world 
are just alike. And there's no power to change. The cross defines the root cause of the world's problem. Let me explain what I mean by that. Turn with me to Corinthians back again to our, our text here in 1 Corinthians 18. And let's look, let's look briefly again at, at verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1. For the message of the cross is what? To those who are? To those who are perishing. I want you, that is the source, that is the problem with the world. The world is perishing. In fact, people know this world is not right. They know. They know something is wrong. And you know what? They also know that something is wrong with them. Truth be told, well, why can't I, I be as patient with my loved one as I need to be? Why do I lash out with anger and it seems as if I can't help myself? Why am I addicted to this thing and nothing that I do within my power can help me to overcome it? People know that, there's a, that this world is in problem, but they also know that they are also in problem. The world is perishing. They can sense it. And they know that no government can fix it. Are you hearing me? No policy generated can, can, can thwart the direction that this world is going in. And so they know what's, what's coming before them. And they seem helpless. And so they find all kinds of things to substitute for that void within. Hmm. This is what Jesus puts it. He says in John 2, he says in, in verse 15, are the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, he said, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not of the what? Father, but is from the world. And listen to what Jesus says, ending this, this passage. And the world is passing away. Are you seeing it? The world is what? With its desires. But whoever does the will of God will abide forever. Friends, I, I just want to share with my, my new family church here today that the problem this world is experiencing it's a problem that no one can fix except the same person that was strung up on a cross. That's all the place where you can find the solution. The heart is deceitful above all things, the Bible says, and desperately what? Wicked. Who can know it? So people show up before you today on a Sabbath morning, but you have no idea what they're entertaining in their hearts. They shake your hand and they say, hi, happy Sabbath. Jesus loves you. But you never know what they're saying behind your back. The heart is deceitful and wicked. Who knows? And the same people, they know they're wicked. They know, they're, they know exactly what they're doing, but they can't help it. 
Colossians 1 verse 20 that God made peace with us and himself through the blood of the cross. In other words, God saw, God saw that this world was moving rapidly to a place of eternal destruction. And he didn't leave it like that. Amen? He didn't leave. He saw where mankind would be helpless to overcome themselves. But he didn't leave it like that. The second thing I want to share with you is that, yes, I share and helpless to do anything about it, but the cross shares the only solution. And that solution is found in Jesus Christ. Let me, let, let, let me, let me just expand this just a little bit for you. Uh, let's read it. In verse 21 of our Bible says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom, knew not God. In that state, the Bible said, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save who? To save who? Those who believe. The solution, my friends, is found in the belief of this man who died for the sins of the world and now made salvation free for all who will express belief in it. It might seem foolish, but once the person choose to believe it and to believe in Jesus, that he will forgive, that he will empower, and also that he will provide the hope of eternity, that begins the process of a radical change in the person's life. Let me share with you let me just share with the church family the solution. What it looks like. What the solution of Jesus Christ growing in the hearts of people, developing a character that reflects is, looks like. And look at what the cross can do to people. Turn to Acts 2. I'll finish this text here. There's a great problem, y'all that the world can't solve, and that no man, mankind can solve it. No person can solve it. Solutions, so the solution is in Jesus Christ. And Acts chapter 2 shares with the human family what the cross can do to a church. And no wonder why, in speaking to the Corinthian church, Paul began with the cross. Are you with me in Acts chapter 2? Peter speaking. And Peter began a sermon, and he began by speaking about the cross. Look at verse 36. Therefore, all the what? House of Israel know assuredly that God has made who? This Jesus, whom you what? Crucified both? So he's preaching the cross. Now, 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 now. 
Now, verse 38. Well, let's just read. Let's just keep reading. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the what? Only the cross, the preaching of the cross, can cut to the selfish heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said, Repent and what? And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord your God will. The, the cross was preached a selfish people to a people wrapped up in the world. And look at the result. Look at the church that the, the preaching of the cross created. And never forget this garland faith community church. Because this is what the church should look like. If we are going to reach those apartments across the street, those homes around here, and, and this city of Garland, this is what it should look like. If it doesn't reflect this, we are wasting our time. And I'm not about wasting my time, y'all. <clears throat> might be wasting my voice right now, but <clears throat> I'm almost done. And, and with many other words, he what? Testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his words were what? Baptized, and that day... About 3,000 souls were added to them. How many? 3,000 people. One day after the preaching of the cross. Keep going. And they continued, these people that were saved, they continued what? Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then, Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in what? Do you see anything selfish in this? Do you see any individualism in this? This church wasn't Corinthianized. Do you see this family living for themselves? Never connecting with anyone in the church throughout the week, but then show up on Sabbath? To praise the Lord together? No, no, no. They were actually together daily. Working with each other. We can't, some of us can't even stand an hour with the next person. In the church. On the board. These people, y'all. The cross did something within their hearts. You know what? God was making something beautiful within them because when the world see it, they will be attracted to it. But only the cross can generate that. Nothing else. But let's continue. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and what? They did what? They sold their possession and goods so they could buy a bigger house. 
so they could buy a better car, so they could build up their 401k. Huh? Why did they sell the things that they owned? Well, the Bible said, and sold their positions and good, and divided them amongst all as anyone who had a what? This was so countercultural. This church wasn't Corinthianized. Everything they owned belonged also to the next person if they had a need. But not only that, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with what? Gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having what? Favor with all the what? Now, listen to that last statement. Now, now, it's like preparing a soil. All right? Adding the right fertilizer, the right amount of water, the right amount of sunshine, everything that the plant, if that soil is, is, is prepared well, will we have a crop? We will have a crop. If that, if, that, if that soil is deprived of water and the nutrients and is just left to be baked in the sun and get hard like some of the hearts in the church, will, the ch will there be plants from that? No. No. Watch this. The Bible says, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were what? Being saved. Daily. People were just flooding into the church of Pentecost. Flooding into the church. They lived life not only, not only by just coming to church once a week. They lived life together. Are you following me, friends? That was the church. That, that was the culture of the church. And until, until Garland Church is ready to say, Lord Jesus, I want to be like that. I, I, I want to be like that. Until the Corinthian church was ready to say, you know what, I'm ready to give up all my division. Until they were ready to say, I want to embrace fully the cross of Jesus Christ. When I look and I see him there, watch me, folk. When I see him on the cross, what I see is, are these things. I see someone who was willing to uncover his own nakedness so that my nakedness could be covered. Are you following, friends? When I look at the cross and I look at Jesus hanging there, I see someone who was willing to look at his enemies and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Are we willing as a church to be crosswise? Before Brother Jonathan thing, sings this song. I want to share a little story with you. Because my heart for this church is to serve God and to walk hand in hand with you. 
The story is a true story. In the 1980s, an Air Florida aircraft crashed in the Potomac River in Washington, D.C. And when it went into the river, a few people, it was, the, it was an icy river at the time, but a few people could, could be seen popping up here and there through the ice. The helicopters were right on the scene very quickly. The first one that got there tossed a lifeline to the first person they saw floating in the icy river. This person, up to today, doesn't have a name. They don't know who this person is. They only describe this man as the man in the water. Because when he grabbed hold of, 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 the, of, of the, 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 the lifeline, what they saw shocked them. He grabbed hold of it, and he moved it to the person beside him. That person hoisted up, taken to safety, and the helicopter come back again to the man in the water. Tossed the lifeline, he grabbed hold of it. A pregnant lady was beside him. He grabbed hold of it and he moved, he moved it her way. She was hoisted up to safety. That scene kept going over and over and over again until the helicopter came back this last time. And to their dismay, they could not find the man in the water. Every person around them was saved. And he bore the frigid effects of that water and died. Today I submit to you, Garland Faith Community, SDA Church family, the man on the cross. He had the ability, he had the, the opportunity to grab hold of the life from heaven. Step back to where he came But he looked down in history and he saw Sean Harris. And he held on to the line. His way. He looked down and he saw Pastor Reynolds and he grabbed on to Move it. And that scene has been going on over and over and over and over again. God is on the move to people with the cross of Jesus Christ. What he has done and accomplished to make sure our sins are all forgiven. To make sure we get the Holy Spirit power to overcome our bad habits. And also to make sure that we have a hope of eternity. All provided by the foolish cross, which is power to me.
you wherever you are in the sanctuary to stand. Or maybe you're watching online, you can stand too. If you want to say, yes, the cross might seem foolish to people outside, but I want my forgiveness from Jesus. Hallelujah. Maybe you want to say, I want the only power who can help me in my life today. And maybe you want to say, I want to guarantee a hope of eternity. Of God standing. Praise the Lord. I invite you just to bow your heads with me. Let's ask Him to bless us. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for this time. A time when we gauged your word. You have spoken to our hearts. And once again, you have revealed to us the importance of Calvary. Today, you see the people in the, in the sanctuary standing to their feet, acknowledging that they embrace the cross as their hope of salvation and what it means to them, how Jesus means everything to them and what he did for them on the cross of Calvary is power to them. You have seen their faith right here, and along with those who are responding online, I pray that as we begin this journey together as a church, that we will view all of our actions going forward through what Jesus did for us on Calvary. Amen. Help us to live a life whereby as a church family, we forgive each other. As a church family, we exercise Matthew 18 with each other and we try to work it out with each other rather than gossiping against each other. Father, help us as a, as a church community right here to reflect Pentecost. Whereby we can live so generously with each other that each one's, each one's son is, is also their son. Daughter is their daughter. Their family is their family. Where we live and we share with each other, just like Christ did with his disciples. Father, may you grow within this church family and each individual hearts all the fruit of the Spirit so that together, when the world around us see us, they'll see something that is attractive, something that's contagious. When we go into our workplaces, in the marketplaces, people will want to know who is guiding this life. When we go to school and we sit in the classrooms with our, with our fellow students, may, they see, see, may these students see something within us that draws them to you, Jesus. 
Wherever we are in our family, may, may, may as husband and wives, may we work with each other in such a loving way that our kids will see Christ within us. And Father, even in our homes, where there are people who need your presence. They're alone, but with you they're not. May they also, Father, experience all the fullness of this relationship with you and live on purpose. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you for this moment. May this be a defining moment in heaven when this church rise, rise, Father, to the calling that you have on it. Bless us with the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for what you're about to do. For we ask it in the name of Jesus, that the church of the living God say, Amen, amen. 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 and Amen. Love you, Garland family.